publish her podcast, episode 60. Well, hey, hey, everyone. Sorry it's been a couple of weeks. Things are really crazy as we count down to the Women in Publishing Summit, which is just a month away, a little over a month away. Big important notice. We are raising the prices of the tickets on February 1st, and I just wanted to make sure that if you are thinking about attending the conference and haven't gotten your ticket yet, that you head on over to womeninpublishingsummit.com and grab your ticket while it's only $97. This is four days jam-packed with workshops, and they are incredible workshops. We cover everything from writing workshops, editing, what you need to know to work with an editor, self-editing, tips from our um, sponsors, ProWritingAid, and FirstEditing.com. We've got publishing and production, book covers, all kinds of great stuff on day two. Day three is full of marketing, so much marketing stuff, and day four is the business of an author. So we dig into how to make additional money, other tools you can use to grow your income as a writer, things you can do to enhance your own book marketing efforts. So it is really an amazing lineup of speakers. Everything is live, it is virtual, everything will be recorded, and if you're not able to attend all sessions, which you won't be able to because multiple are running at the same time, but if you can't take off of work on those first couple of days, you'll be able to access those recordings and there's no time limit on re-watching them. So I highly encourage you to get over and grab your ticket before the price starts going up. We had extended the early bird pricing almost uh, two months longer than originally planned because we were asked to do so. But now it's time to start making our way to the full ticket price, which will be $197. So go grab your ticket. All right, so today I'm really um, happy always to talk about authors and their writing journey and share with you some of the things that happened along their route because I think it's important to understand things that are going well for people, things that they struggle with, things that surprise them along the journey and um, take a look at once their book is published, what actually happened to give you some insight and feedback on that. So Linda, wrote a wonderful memoir about her time in Budapest as a um, English as a second language teacher and her exciting journey to move abroad in search of love. And if you love anything to do with Europe, if you love anything to do with classical music, there's a lot of that in there. Just a great book. But it was a lot of fun talking to Linda about the journey of her memoir and marketing it and just the overall experience. And just recently, I learned that her book has been shortlisted for the SIBA Awards. That's a Chanticleer International Book Awards. It's a growing um, book award competition. So we're very excited excited for Linda that she's been shortlisted on that awards program and overall just super proud of her and her accomplishments. So I have a feeling you're going to enjoy this. We laughed a lot. Um, really, really enjoyed working with Linda and, um, and seeing what life is like on the other side of her publishing. So enjoy the show. Welcome to the Publish Her Podcast, a place where you can come to get inspiration, motivation, help, encouragement, and support in your journey to write, publish, and sell your book. Hosted by Alexa Bigwarf. Cause I've been where you've been, and I felt what you're feeling, and I don't want to get in your way. 
Okay, today I'm really excited to bring you Linda Yamsen. Um, every once in a while, we interview authors about their their uh, writing and publishing and book launching journey. And I just love to talk about books. And I really love to talk about this particular book. Um, not only did we get to shepherd Linda through the process, the topic of the book is one that is near and dear to my heart. It's all about finding love in Europe. So who doesn't want to talk, <laughs> talk about that topic? So Linda is an American expat writer, musician living in Finland. She grew up in New York, holding a book in one hand while exploring the piano keyboard with the other. Mesmerized by her mother's playing of the romantic repertoire, she soon studied piano with her and later graduated with a BA in music from Bard College. Linda is also an avid choral singer and has performed in Hungary, Finland, the UK, and Israel. During her years in Boston, Linda raised funds for a variety of philanthropic causes and completed the graduate management course at Radcliffe Seminars, Harvard. Harvard. However, longing to return to her musical roots in 2001, she moved to Budapest, land of her musical idol, Franz Liszt. There, she volunteered for the Music Academy in his name and also received a CELTA, C-E-L-T-A certificate from the International House, where she then taught English as a foreign language. Her musical, romantic, and travel adventures abroad inspired her to write Odyssey of Love, a memoir of seeking and finding was her literary debut. Linda lives on an island in Helsinki with her husband, the tall man with glasses from the memoir, and their treasured Russian icon. A sequel, Triptych, is in the works. Oh, Linda, welcome. Thank you, Alexa. It's so great to see you again, as always. It is good to see you, too. You know, this book, it's just, it's fun. It's a, it's a memoir. So it's real story, real life, what happened to you. And, um, and the best part about this adventure, I think, as a woman who is now 45 years old, is that this adventure happened to you in your 40s. So yes, yes, yes. yes. So tell us about like, what happened to you, how you decided to pick up and move to Budapest. Okay, so I was 41 years old, I was living in Boston, I was working as a professional fundraiser. And I had been in a seven year relationship with my live in love, his name was Hank at least in the in the memoir, his name is Hank. <laughs> anyway, um, things came to a crossroads and I was sort of getting fed up with my job. I had graduated from this graduate program and I thought, okay, like what's the next step? I'm 41. And then I started thinking, finally, I had time to seriously think about, you know, do I want to start a family? Is it even possible at this age? And what does Hank think about it? So, um, on my 41st birthday, I, he was acting kind of mysterious and he was obviously planning something. So I really thought that a proposal was coming. I thought he was phoning my parents and organizing things because actually we spent that day with my parents. It was also my graduation. Oh, uh, wow. That's a big day. <laughs> yeah, very big day. So um, I really thought there was a proposal coming and an announcement and there was all this anticipation in the air and nothing happened. Oh, what no. He had, <laughs> he had actually phoned my friends and asked them because they live lived around and still do around the States. Uh, he asked them to send cards and gifts for this double celebration, which was wonderful. So I had a table full of that, but there was no ring. There was no announcement or anything. So I felt really crushed by that. Mm -hmm. And I really had to do some serious thinking. And I met with my best friend, Jenny, and she said to me, which was hurtful, but it was the truth, 
that if he can't commit after seven years, 10 or 15 may not be enough either. So I started thinking forward, you know, about seven years from now, I'll be 48, you know, then I'll be 55. (laughs) And like, these cycles continue, like, forget, you know, a family and just, you know, it just won't happen. So, um, so she said to me that she recommended that I see her psychic and, and the psychic's name was Angelica and Jenny had seen her before and thought she was terrific. And I was hesitant. I thought it was a lot of hocus pocus at first, (laughs) but then I remembered that my mom had seen a fortune teller when she was 20 years old living in New York city. And the fortune teller had told her that her current boyfriend, they were going to split and that she would marry someone with the initial J because she saw the initial J in the tea leaves. Oh, wow. So six, well, actually within six months, my mother met Joseph and got married. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And they had a long 48 year marriage until he died suddenly. <clears throat> and, but I just thought, well, if they were so happy and it worked for them, then why don't I give it a try? Right. So I went Angelica and I was really hoping that she would say to me oh just hang in there Hank is the one you know he's going to come around you'll have a family or you're going to get married but she said like almost the polar opposite the first thing she said was that I would be moving to Europe and that just seemed like so bizarre you know (laughs) totally not what I I mean many people would be like yes I want to move to Europe I'm going to Europe and you're like what (laughs) I was like no no I want to stay here and work this out because you know I think seven years is a long time and I had really invested a lot in that relationship so that seemed really strange and then um she also said that I she saw me standing in front of a classroom and it seemed like I was teaching Uh and that also seemed bizarre because I was terrified of public speaking then (laughs) at that time I was just terrified so hearing those two things I thought oh like does her sixth sense need you know a fine tuning or something because she's just so out there you know it didn't make any sense but then she said okay this was the clincher she said that she saw musical instruments around me Okay, so music has always been my big passion. And when she said that, I thought, oh my gosh, like I have gotten away from my big passion of music. I've gotten so far away. I was hardly practicing piano at all. I wasn't singing in a chorus. I had just gone a whole different direction. So when she said that, it got my attention. And she also said that she saw me exploring family roots in Eastern Europe. And that really piqued my interest too. So those two things, um, and also the fact that then she described who my true love really was. So she was very clear that Hank was not the one. And that was very painful to hear. But like I said, it was also my gut. And it was like in my gut that that was really true. But when I asked her to describe the future, my future husband, she just said he was a tall man with glasses. And when I pushed her, she couldn't tell me where he was, but she just said that he would not be coming into my life for a while. So the other piece of information she told me was that a Russian icon would bring us together. She had a lot of information for you. And I'm sure you were kind of like a Russian icon. What on earth? (laughs) 
But you know, the interesting thing is my grandmother had been Russian and Russian Orthodox. Uh-huh. And she said that my grandmother's spirit was around me. And I, I really believe that. And I still do because yeah. I felt I felt very close to her while she was alive. And I still do now that she's around me. So um, it was all very curious. And when I went back to Jenny, I told her and I said, well, even if I wanted to pursue this, how could I afford it? I mean, I just can't quit my job and move overseas. I mean, it's expense involved. And if yeah. I want to it's expensive. So, you know, she said, you know, we talked about the idea of what I would do overseas. And um, she also suggested I talk to my parents who were always really supportive and encouraging. And sure enough, I did. She, Jenny always gave really great advice. And I talked to them and they, they were great. They thought it was just terrific. Yeah. They thought I should go and bark on this odyssey and see where it leads. And um, they thought it was really important that I work there. And of course, that was a big part of the odyssey too. So just as Angelica had said, I wound up teaching in front of a classroom. I was teaching English, but first, because I had no experience, I had to get teacher training certificate in CELTA. Uh-huh. So I went to International House. And as you said in my bio, I picked Budapest because of my love for Franz Liszt. I'm a big, you know, he's my idol, my musical idol. So I had always wanted to go there and the idea of living there was just like phenomenal. And um, and I thought, okay, well, if I meet this guy, great. And if not, I'll just have a wonderful odyssey, you know, experience. Yeah. So, so that's what did it really. Well, I don't want to talk about the whole story that happened because I want people to read the book. And But I do want to say, you know, this book is so much fun because you have um, so many elements of, for those who love Europe and have been in Europe, like all of those nostalgic uh, moments of being there, but you traveled so much. So I think without, you know, telling them the whole story of what happened and the people you met and I met, and I will tell you, it was really fun because that you had several encounters with potential men who could be, but we won't tell all that part. I want to talk about um, the other audience who will love this book, which is the musicians. Let's talk about the adventures yeah. that you had in music while you were there. Cause you went to be a teacher, but then you also had yeah. this incredible music adventure. Yes. So it's really interesting how things happen there. Okay. So um, I went to this, meeting of the International Women's Club. And I wanted to help with fundraising because while I was taking this teacher trainer course, I also had a lot of free time. Mm -hmm. And they had the spring ball coming. And if you recall in the book, I went to meet with Mirabelle, who was the president of the group at that time. And I offered my services and it was quite clear they weren't interested. I just didn't have the right connections. They were Uh looking for someone with diplomatic connections. new in the city. So um, when I went to their meeting before I met Maribel backing up, I also had signed up to on the mailing list for the List Academy of Music. Mm-hmm. Okay. So after I met with Maribel, I was quite discouraged. But then I got this wonderful phone call from a woman named Adele. And she was on the board of directors there doing fundraising. And she asked me if I would be interested in helping the academy with their fundraising. So that was just like, oh my gosh, that was fantastic. So that was a volunteer job that I did. Mm 
-huh. And um, it was mostly like helping with grant writing, uh, proofing things in English and helping with some really special events. So that was incredible. And then through Adele, I was invited to join her chorus, <laughs> the Budapest Academic Choral Society. Nice. And um, she got me in there. I was the only American. There was one other foreigner from the UK. So there were two of us and like 80 Hungarians. <laughs> and uh, soon we were performing at the List Academy. I mean, I never would have thought. Right. Oh, that's amazing. So I would go from volunteering there or just attending a concert to volunteering to singing there. So that was incredible. And then about a year later, we had the opportunity to sing in Israel and um, sing in Tel Aviv, but live for three weeks in Jerusalem. Wow. And it was always my dream to go there. So, you know, religion, spirituality, music, Christmas time, it just seemed like sure. a wonderful opportunity. However, there were um, a lot of, you know, there was a lot of violence going on at that time, heightened, you know, yeah. crisis. So, and you were I, there, I, that was, you were there in 2000 and 2001, correct? Yeah, I was there 2001, but I went to Israel was 2002. Okay. The end of 2000. Yeah. So right so, after um, all the September 11th and all of that stuff. So yeah, I'm sure that was a scary time yeah, to be traveling. Scary. So uh, I really thought about it and um, I talked to my parents about it. And they were like, well, we'd sort of be happy if you didn't go. <laughs> but, uh, they understood, you know, that my passion and my interest in going. And then I had a chat with Angelica again. <laughs> and she was very encouraging. And she said, I should go and not worry. So I wound up going. And that was without a doubt, the highlight of my musical life. Yeah, it was oh, I can only imagine. festival. We sang Box Magnificat and oh. Um, Foray Requiem and the Mozart Requiem. We sang wow. like all these really deep, beautiful pieces wow. within three weeks. So wow. all day we were rehearsing or touring around and nighttime concerts. I mean, it was just so fantastic, Alexa. Oh my really. gosh. I, it's, I'm, I, I don't know if we've ever shared this with you, but I was a musician um, all the way through college. I was a flute player, a good flute oh. player too. And um and just kind of decided in college that um, I didn't want to spend six hours a day by myself in a practice room because it's different than chorus. When you're a musician, you are often <laughs> locked up away. But oh my gosh, music speaks to my soul though. And just hearing the yeah. names of those pieces just gives me chills and shivers imagining it. Oh, so wonderful. So you traveled a lot and you had some adventures and we're not gonna talk about the men because I want people to, um, to, to learn that on their own. But um, you talk about Anne, Anne Frank as well. Yes, yes. She was a very big inspiration from my youth actually. I don't know. Did you read her diary when you were? I young? sure did. Oh. And, you know, I lived in Germany when I was a young girl, when I was um, 11 to 12 years old, my dad was stationed over there and we had the opportunity to go to her house. So she, that Anne Frank and, oh. and all the things that happened in Europe played a huge part of my development as well. Yes. yes. I read the book when I was about that age, 11 or 12, it was required reading in my school. Mm -hmm. And, um, it really spoke to me and I started keeping a diary soon after that. And this, this uh, routine or habit, whatever has continued to this day. Mm -hmm. And I always get 
new diaries for and journals for Christmas every year. That's what I ask for. Like I, about two, I fill about two big ones every oh, nice, year. Nice, nice. I like six months or every four months I get a new one. But um, her story really impacted me. And I went there by myself the first time. And I, that was the reason I went to Amsterdam. Okay. Oh, yeah. And then I had an encounter, as you know, I won't give it away. There was a tall man with glasses there who I thought was potentially the one, but <laughs> I decided then to, I was keeping a journal there. And actually in the book, I write those chapters in journal form yeah. format. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So thank you, Anne Frank. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So let's talk about this, this whole idea of receiving information that, that gives you, how, how did that shape your time there? You knew that uh, obviously her prediction of your go you going to Europe came came true, or you made that happen. Basically, it opened up the doors of possibility for you to think about it. But this, you you get over there and you're traveling around, and in your mind, you ha have this tall man with glasses, and you have this Russian icon. How did that impact your time over there? Oh my gosh! Well, it was interesting because she told me from the beginning, like I said, that he wouldn't come into my life right away. Okay. So when I first up there, I wasn't really thinking so much about meeting him. I was just getting to know the people in my teacher training group, had a big flirtation with one who is much younger. <laughs> <laughs> Which is one of my favorite parts of the whole story, because isn't that the dream? 41-year-old woman and this youngster. <laughs> I know, I know. So, he wasn't um, that, that young, was ladies. Don't exciting. get too excited. <laughs> young yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, then, and then I met a lot of people through that class and through them I met their families and other people so I was really sort of establishing you know getting settled down in Budapest okay getting into a routine and that kind of thing and then I thought that because I really thought I might be moving back to America I didn't know how things would go but I just I thought I'll probably return to my fundraising career and even if I meet this tall man with buses will be moving back most likely. That's what right, I thought. Right. So I thought I'm gonna just travel as much as I can because once I go back and I'm working again in this you know, stressful job situation, there won't be time to take many vacations. And Europe is far, as you know, yeah. you can't just go like one weekend to Vienna and then say the next weekend, okay, I'm gonna to go to Bratislava or I'm gonna to go right. to Prague this weekend. I mean, from there, from Budapest, it's all really close by train right, right. and by, by plane even closer. So I did a really a lot of traveling. And then um, I realized, you know, certain people I met didn't fit this description, you know, of the time. <laughs> and then some did, but there were issues with them, which I won't go into, like <laughs> if you were Adam's fifth chapter. Um, and, but then there was this close call in Amsterdam that I referred to before. Mm -hmm. So it was interesting because the, the icon put a, put a whole unique spin on it because most of these places where I went did not have Russian icons. Right. <laughs> I mean, I went to Greece and there were Greek icons, but she said specifically Russian icon. Mm -hmm. So um, lo and behold, I found it in the most amazing, unusual place at the end of the book. Yes. And it is such a great ending. Uh, I mean, we, we know from your bio what happens, but it's, it's yeah. so much fun reading it as well to, to discover exactly how it happened and when it happened. But, you know, it's, it's, 
it's fun at this memoir, like even though you go into it knowing that you will find what you were seeking, um, just the adventure part of it and the and the growth and the things that happened to you and the friendships that you made and the yeah. wonderful journeys. I mean, it is just, it's beautifully written, the, the, the context, uh, you know, the setting of being overseas and doing all that stuff. Like it just, I, I just enjoyed reading it so very, very much. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it was a writing. It was a, also an odyssey of love. <laughs> yes, so, I'm sure. Yeah. So, um, well, then after the book, um, after the book ends, I think it's fun for people to know, you know, you're in Finland now. Um, I don't know how much you want to give away of your story, but. Uh, how, I, won't how, give away, I won't give away the, the very ending, but I will just say that um, it ends on a happy note because you know, it's a love story. And of course, when I met this person, it was very happy. We got married within a few months. Wow. But that said, um, my father died just after we got engaged. Oh. Within three weeks. Oh. So that, um, yeah, that just crushed me. And actually, I canceled the wedding. And I won't go into that because that's actually part of the sequel. Okay. But um Otto and I wound up getting married and um, very, very happy that we did, that it went the way it did. And in the sequel, Angelica's back. Oh, wow. You know, there's more about my parents. Jenny's back as well. <laughs> and um, so it explains really more in detail what happened because I wanted, like I said, I wanted things to end on a happy note. And then I attached an epilogue in Ephesus at the very end to sort of explain some other things and that the reader knows that, yes, indeed, we did get married. Yeah. So. That's great. But there's no wedding in the book. For example, some people have asked, I want to see the wedding. We're like, what happened? <laughs> but, uh, wedding pictures on my website. There are wedding oh. pictures on my website. Yeah. There's we'll a photo sure out. The link. Yeah, we'll make sure the link to your website is in the show notes. Okay. So yeah. you talked about the importance of journaling and, and, and keeping your diary. And I'm sure that as you went to write the book, that that was very, very helpful to you because you know, it's been a few years since you lived all of this. I'm sure you needed some memory joggers on all of the things. So let's talk about your writing process. How, how long did it take you? What was, what was that all like for you? Okay. So as I mentioned about my dad, um, after my dad died and I came to Finland, I was having a, a really hard time and I sought help. And the therapist that I saw told me that I should start writing about my father either writing letters to my father or writing about my father. Uh -huh. So I started doing that. And mind you, I had never written like a creatively before. I mean, a little bit as a child, but I had no dreams of being an author. It wasn't even in the cards, you know. Um, so I just started doing it for my own, for my own therapy and, and for healing, as you know, that's very important. Yeah. So um I did that. And then I started remembering like the situation with Adam, the Janos, the street beggar who I felt very attached to in the book. Yeah. And I wrote these like little short stories and then they started to connect to each other. <laughs> and I knew the story arc like from Boston, Budapest, Finland, you know. So, and then I just had, I did a big outline and sometimes it would change and I would have chapters that I would move here and there or I would write chapters that I ultimately didn't use at all. Mm -hmm. But because of this, it took many years. But at the same time, probably because I'm a Gemini, <laughs> I was juggling other projects too. I was writing about 
this next, you know, what I just mentioned, triptych. Uh-huh. So things that happened after the wedding, I started also writing about that and some children's books and essays and just whatever. Um, and so my writing process is not at all usual <laughs> because what happens is that with me, uh, there's so much in my going on up here that I want to express or write down. And so if I wake up, for example, and I'm thinking about my mother, a conversation we had, say, in 2013, you know, which is part of triptych, I will just get up that day and write that. I will focus on that. Or if I wake up and I'm thinking about a trip I took to Prague, for example, I'll write about that. So I don't have a specific routine. Uh, That wouldn't work for me. Like I can't just sit down and say, okay, today I'm writing 1,500 words for triptych. I have to be inspired. I have to know what I'm writing. Like it's more like, I wake up with the idea and then I write and I can write thousands of words at once. Yeah. It just all comes out, you know? So um, because of this, it took a long time. Like I said, because I had many projects going on and that was just with writing. Then there were all the music projects and then all family related stuff going on that I discuss in triptych. So um, because of that, it took probably between 10 and 15 years, but that said there were, long periods of time where I didn't even work on it at all yeah yeah and it was really hard for me to give it up to get yeah I'm sure um well and so you wound up self-publishing your book what what was the decision for you to go that direction well I had been to a number of writer conferences several in America and one in the UK and one in Sweden And I did my one-on-ones with agents because at first I thought I would go the traditional route. Mm -hmm. And I got really good feedback from everybody. I did that, you know, the pitch session where you stand up and they ring the bell. (laughs) (laughs) And and I always made it through to the first page. I was really proud of myself. But but then I would meet with the agents and they would say like, oh yeah, you're the writer that wrote that. Yes, okay. But then they ultimately would say, well, memoir is a really hard sell, Uh as you know. And for a first-time writer, even more so, or an unknown writer, okay, I understand that perfectly well. So their solution was for me to fictionalize the whole thing, the entire book. And that just didn't feel right to me at all. Right. It's my story. It's really personal. And the people that know me and my husband know the story. And so I just thought, well, then it would be really strange if someone's reading it and they would think, well, did that really happen? Did she really see a psychic? Yeah. Or, you know, yeah. did she really meet that, that guy in Amsterdam? Or right. did she really meet in Israel? They would question everything. It would be, they would be, is it fiction? Is it nonfiction? So I just decided ultimately I would write it the way that I feel like it was meant to be as a memoir. Yeah. And um, once I decided that, it was really easy to, to then think about self-publishing. Yeah. And that's, I, I think... To- I think that's the biggest reason why people choose that route is for the creative control. It makes other things more difficult, of course, because then you take on the burden of the, of the management of all of that. And, and, and the marketing is, is obviously difficult. Um, But you've gotten some pretty creative uh, let's, I want to talk about your creative launch party, and then we'll get into some of the the marketing um, things that you've been doing, but your launch party, I talk about your launch party all the time to this day. It's the most creative and fun virtual launch party I have ever been to. Uh, So tell us all about it. 
ah, well, you know, when I first met you and decided to go the self-publishing route with write, publish, sell, I um, really thought that by the spring, things would be good enough here in Finland that I could have a real, a live party. Right. And I love planning parties because I was a fundraiser. And as part of that job, I planned a lot of parties uh -huh. and I planned parties here and I just love it. And I was really longing to have a party. So when it became clear that that wouldn't happen. Thank you, COVID. I thought <laughs> What? What? I said, thank yeah. you, COVID, for anyone who's listening yeah, to this yeah, in the, yeah, in the yeah, future yeah. and is like, why couldn't she have a party? I know. <laughs> I know. It was really disappointing. But then I thought, okay. But on the other hand, there's so many people I know around the world who would love to participate, uh -huh. but could never afford to come, you know, right. time-wise or money-wise. So I thought, okay, who do I know? And like, what could they do to participate? So I thought of like my cousin in Greece who's a singer and her, her daughters, my goddaughter's also a singer, my cousins in Oregon. And then there was locally um, my American violinist friend who's with the Baroque Orchestra here and his Estonian wife. And then there's Mira uh -huh. from Palestine. Okay. There was Arthur from the UK playing guitar and several others. And then David, who is actually in New York, who did the um, Alfred Hitchcock impersonation. Yes. <laughs> so, what I basically did was I wrote to my friends and said, you know, I'm doing this virtual launch and I would love it if you participated. I would be so happy. And what do you think? And I just got an overwhelming response. Yeah. I mean, I actually had more. There were even more songs that people had submitted, but we had to keep it. We wanted to keep it to an hour. So what happened was they all pre-recorded. And then um, Anthony, who actually plays the violin, who's also a great tech person. He oversaw the whole process. He got all the videos and he, he just did everything. He did the editing and he put together the final event. So um, on the night of the launch, he was actually across the hall in another, uh, someone else's empty room there because of COVID. Uh -huh. <laughs> so um, he was helping with that. And I think we had like 60 or 70 different households watching. Yeah, it was great. All together. And these were my my family and friends in, in Hungary and in the UK, you know, and in the States and, and the UK, everywhere. And you and your whole team. So it was really, really special for me. And I have to say that I really I, I didn't miss the in-person then because I no, felt it was everybody was there. Yeah. They it, were there. And more, like you said, more than probably would have been there had you hosted in person. And it was just, I mean, it was just such a great musical event with all of those performances. And then of course you did a reading from the book yeah. and um, it was just, it was a lot of fun. It was really outside of the box and, and I enjoyed it tremendously. Yeah. Okay. So then, you know, obviously as, as we're all aware of COVID has made marketing for, uh, you know, the, the thing is with indie authors, like it's crucial to be getting out into live events, to be attending things, to be going places and meeting people and events and all those types of things. And, um, and COVID made that very challenging. So um, you've done a great job of looking into other ways of marketing, like connecting with your expat groups and yeah. um, blogging and podcasting. So let's talk about some of the things that you've done in spite of COVID to continue spreading the word about your book. Ah, okay. So early on, uh, I'm in the American Women's Club here. 
So they knew that the book was coming. They wanted to be involved. They've been very supportive. So many of them bought my book and um, left reviews, which was wonderful. And then they had me at their very first book group this fall, but it was on Zoom. Sure. Okay. <laughs> but, okay. And then actually tomorrow is their holiday party, which was supposed to also be live, but is now on Zoom. <laughs> and they bought a couple of my books to give away as part of the yes. raffle prize. Oh, that's so that wonderful. Was great. They're really promoting it wherever they can. Well, that's such um, a great marketing yeah. idea too. I'm um, just for, you know, to put, put that thought out there is that coordinating with groups who would have members who would really appreciate your book, asking them to do something like that, including it as door prizes or raffle prizes or as a giveaway for attendees or things like that. Great idea. And then they're also like, I, I want to get in touch with the American Women's Club in Amsterdam and, and like one in Athens and places where part of the action takes place in the book. You know, yeah. because I think it would be interesting for them to read about my perspective as an expat, you know, American Absolutely. who traveled there and there. So yeah. that's a whole other project. But um, this was really great. And then I had another book group in Budapest. Uh, a bunch of women got together at my friend Sophia's home and they had a, a meeting and I was right there on Zoom and it was wonderful. So that has, those have been really inspiring. Yeah. And, and motivating and, and energizing. So really yeah. happy about that. And um, the other thing, okay, Alexa, you told me early on how important podcasts are and you were right. <laughs> so Thank I you. One, I did my first one about, was it six weeks ago, maybe, or two months ago? And um, actually it just went live yesterday. So it must've yeah. been about six. Weeks yeah, it just went live. I haven't posted it yet everywhere, but um, I was so excited to do that. And like I had said earlier, I used to be terrified with about public speaking. Uh -huh. So after I did the first one, I felt really good about it. And I got yes. really good feedback from her. And it also helps that it's recorded and yes. edited. Yes, <laughs> so exactly. There was another one with a, with a podcaster in Canada and then one uh, last week with a woman in Australia and nice. then uh, one last week with two women in Vienna. So you're my fifth. Uh, that's and I great. Look, yes. And I have still two more uh, podcasters who were interested and I have to work that out with the timing, but it's really fun. Yes. I mean, it's just really it great. I mean, it's just like having a coffee with a friend and just chatting, yeah. you know, and, and like you said, the, the, the anxiety bar should be very, very low because they are pre-recorded. They are edited. You know, there's really no, you usually get questions in advance. So it's, it, there's no, um, there's no worry around it and you get to do what you love, which is to talk about your story and your book to an audience that is already warm because they yeah. hopefully trust the, the person bringing you to them. So yeah. that's great. I love, I, I love podcasts, obviously. Yeah, I know. And also with COVID because I'm not, engaging much with the exactly. outside world right now so i'm meeting still meeting people from other countries exactly it's, it's yes. and we're on we're in touch on social media and it's it's just been great another thing i did was um i did a blog tour through women uh wow women on writing i don't uh -huh. know if you're familiar with them but only because you told me about them but now we're, now i am <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So they helped me organize a book blog tour and there were 20 stops. And so that was six weeks of my fall because I had to write a lot of blog posts 
and they some of them interviewed me um, and many of them left reviews so that was really helpful too and they nice. posted on Amazon and Goodreads nice. and as you know that's always a challenge getting yes. more reviews yes oh always so I, it's a never-ending challenge yeah it really is you know and people um, you yeah yeah there are lots of people who have good intentions but yes well, down and do it yeah I tell authors this all the time because I absolutely love supporting other authors and love being able to read people's books and will often say yes if someone says will you read my well I've had to start saying no because honestly I just haven't been able to do them all but um that that is part of it I mean people get really busy in their lives they forget about it it's no small feat if you're already trying to um you know balance a bunch of other things to also fit in reading a book etc etc and that's why you know when we talk about building email lists and communicating with your arc team and doing all those things that it's okay to continue sending reminders and to ask people you know if they if they were able to read it and to continue asking uh, you know because people do get busy and i know i've taken on um books uh, arcs and just completely forgotten about them or the or the launch day came and went and i'm like oh no i totally was gonna do that so remind them don't be afraid to remind them if they said yes because they really want to do it you know those reminders are important but it is so hard to get people to actually finish um in some cases and especially if you're reaching out to reviewers that take on a lot of books and uh, you know all those types of things so don't be afraid to hit that list again linda and say hey you know you were on my launch team if you didn't get a chance this is just a reminder it's never too late it's never too late to yeah, go leave yeah, that, that review that's a good point because i know i need to get another email on this topic out there Yes. But one thing I wanted to say that's been really wonderful is the community of other authors that I've yes. interacted with on Instagram. Yes. So I have to admit that I didn't read a lot of um, indie books before, but now through my connections on Instagram, yeah. all so many of the writers that started reviewing my book and promoting my book uh, or recommending other books, whatever, I'm, I'm just, I'm ordering them on Kindle yeah, and absolutely. I'm reading them and I'm reviewing them and other WPS writers. So I'm, it's uh, really fantastic. So I really got in a groove with reading yeah. and review. Yeah. And I'm that's, really happy to, I think it's important. Yeah. I think um, that's, that's a really great point because we've been, we talk a lot about Instagram and, and growing that community and, and, you know, Instagram and social media in general. In fact, uh, we've been saying this for a while, but we just saw a big article come out yesterday that, you know, millions of, even millions of followers won't necessarily guarantee a difference in book sales, but social media does do what you just said. It helps grow a community of people, whether, you know, ideally we want to have a lot of readers, but a lot of authors can be instrumental in helping you move forward, especially since authors know and understand how hard it is to get those reviews that if you do connect with people who, um, who can help share that message, it's a fantastic thing. Um, so there's one last thing that I want to talk about before we wrap this up. And that is going back to something you said at the very beginning when talking or early on when talking about the, the uh, idea to self publish and that um, it's difficult with a memoir. And so what one of the things you were very successful at was making sure that your book was positioned not as a memoir, but as the other categories that would be really interesting to people who would like the themes of your book. So um, mm -hmm. 
talk about some of the, the, the categories that you went into and the resulting success that you saw that you would have never likely seen had you just positioned it as a memoir? Ah, well, um, in terms of the categories, there was, for example, Eastern, there still is Eastern Europe travel. Mm -hmm. And um, before my book even came out and it was on pre-order, I was doing really well in that category. And actually, even recently I did, I got up to number three <laughs> in Eastern Europe travel. So that was really- And you were number was, one for quite a while, actually, in that I category. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then one, two, three. And um, so that was a really great category. That's been a really great category to be in. And actually, um, when I got that Chanticleer review early on, uh -huh. if you remember, uh -huh. during my book, they said it was an Eastern Europe, eat, pray, love. Yes, and what a great so review. Really yes, that really helped a lot. And then there's the classical music category. Yes. So I'm also in that. And that continues. Um, that was really much better at the beginning. I think there's a lot of competition in that category, but yeah, I'm sure. It's more, you know, I yeah. mean, competing against Mozart and Beethoven. <laughs> right, right. But it is, you know, it is important as you're thinking about your marketing and, and um, you know, if people are looking for books and in, in those genres as well, you know, it is important to think um, a little bit outside of the box when you're positioning your book. I'm never an advocate for, I've seen a lot of people who would choose categories that are just really kind of insane because there's one line in their book that mentions yeah. mentions yoga. So they position it in a yeah. yoga category or something like that. But yours, I think were very well placed in Eastern European travel and in the classical music because you do talk so much about those. Um, but yeah, it's been, this has been just a, a really fun project. Um, really, like I, I told you from the day we had our first conversation, um, you know, I was like, I love the idea of this book as, as a woman who has traveled abroad a lot, has lived in France, has lived in Germany, has my own uh, international love affair, you know, <laughs> like, I was just like, I would be so excited to work on this project. And it was a wonderful experience on my end, too. Yeah me too and it was so important for me to wait for the right moment yeah. and the right team and everything because I because the story is so close to my heart yes of course my husband too and um you know he's been championing this whole project for years and oh he really wanted it to see it you know get out there yeah. and so um I have been attending the summit your yeah. women in publishing summit for years and um got to know you you know, virtually and someday I hope in person, but anyway. Well, me and then too. I was just thinking maybe with the second book, you'll be able to have that live launch and I may just, oh. I've never been to Finland. I may have to put that on my calendar. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, it's actually my dream someday to do a book tour through the States well, and just drive around. Yes. I mean, I'm really hoping because I have so many cousins everywhere. <laughs> so, so great. Like Minneapolis, Oregon, Seattle, Florida, oh. just Consider Everyone. yourself invited to South Carolina. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, North Carolina. So yeah, yeah, wow. well, that's wonderful. Well, I hope that um, that you won't give up on your marketing. That you will continue doing all yeah. the things, especially as you prepare for uh, the next book. And um, you know, that's also exciting too. I mean, whenever you have another book that comes out that gives you the opportunity to do new and fresh marketing, that will also drive people to something else. It's yeah. always a bonus. I yeah. agree. Yeah, that's actually a perfect strategy. Yeah, yeah, because then it's 
the second one, they think, oh, like how did it, how did she meet this guy now? You know, yes. I can read the, you know, read Odyssey of Love if they want to. So exactly. Oh, well, it's been so much fun catching up with you again. And um, again, please, if you are interested in any of the topics that we just discussed, make sure you go check out um, Odyssey of Love, A Memoir of Seeking and Finding by Linda Yamsen. And where can people go find out more about you? Okay, there's my website, lindajamson.com. Do you say Jamson or do you just, did you just pronounce it that way for that, so that people know how to spell oh, it? The American way, okay. Jamson. <laughs> I was going to say, have I been pronouncing it wrong all this time? You're, you're pronouncing it the right way. So that's my, lindajamson.com is the website. And then um, I have an author page now and that's Linda Yamson author. So that's nice. with the, the finished spelling. So I have that. And then there's, if you want to learn more about Odyssey of Love, I have an Odyssey of Love book page on Facebook. And then Instagram is also Linda Jamson author. Yeah. So I'm really quite. Yeah. And your Instagram account is just wonderful for anybody who loves travel and music and things like that with all the just wonderful pictures from your trips and adventures. And love oh, thank you. I'm really enjoying that. Yeah. You're putting that. And today's Sibelius's birthday. So when we end this <laughs> interview, I'm going to be posting about Sibelius. Nice. Very good. All right, Linda. Well, thank you so much. And I, I can't wait to see what happens next and continue following you in your journey. And, thank you, for um, you are so welcome. Have a wonderful day. You too. Bye. Thank you for joining us on the Publisher Podcast. We hope to see you back for the next episode. Great, huge thanks goes to Jasmine Commerce for the use of her song. You can find Jasmine on SoundCloud. Go check out all of her music. We'll see you next time.